the name of Christ, and welcome to Concord Matters. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We have a simple goal here on Concord Matters, to seek unity in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony according to Scripture by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. Because you see, the Book of Concord is not another Bible, but we believe, teach, and confess that these writings are in accord with Holy Scripture, which is our only source and hope. I'm your host, Brady Finner, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We continue our study in the biblical confession of the sacraments. Last week, we were greatly blessed with Pastor Paul Kane as he confessed what it is about baptism and what a joy it was to his understanding of when Jesus says it, it is true. When Scripture says it, it is true. Baptism now saves you. Now in Article 10, we go to the body and blood of Christ given for you for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want to remind our listeners that as we've looked at baptism and look at the Lord's Supper, to go back um, to last fall in the small catechism as we slowly went through this confession in the small catechism, which is not only relevant for us when we're young, but also relevant throughout our lives. And so today, as we look to to the Lord's Supper, we continue to do this. What does God's Word have to say and therefore believe it. So here we go. Open up your book of Concord, open up your Bible, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Augsburg Confession, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ this morning, we welcome back Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor McFadden, welcome back to Concord. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. Pastor McFadden, you have a unique history. We've highlighted this a number of times here on Concord Matters, and that's why I also remind our listeners to go back. We had two studies on baptism with Pastor McFadden in the small catechism, and one of them was just answering questions. And Pastor, the reason we did that is because you didn't grow up Lutheran. You weren't one of those kids like myself that went through confirmation. They said, it's the real presence. And I, you know, kind of looked, probably drooled outside my mouth, kind of just eight, seventh grade or not knowing what's going on. Go, okay, okay, well, whatever you say. Um, you didn't grow up in this confession. And many times, one of the biggest issues for people is the Lord's Supper to become Lutheran. They just don't get it. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and, and your coming to the biblical view of the Lord's Supper? Well, I was raised as a Baptist and was ordained uh, as a Baptist in 1978, and never darkened the door of a Lutheran church until about 11 and a half years ago when my wife and I moved to Fort Wayne. So for me, uh, it was an entirely different experience uh, coming into the Lutheran church and recognizing that uh, what I had always taught as a Baptist pastor pretty much amounted to the real absence of Christ, not the real presence, because we were always apologizing for the fact that that baptism, the Lord's Supper, didn't really do anything. It was only a symbol. It was only a sign. It was only a pointer. It was only a a jog to our memory to remember what Jesus had done for us uh, 2,000 years ago. 
And so it was pretty much a tack on to the service to begin with. It often didn't even use all of the exact words of the, of the words of institution. Uh, it was viewed as kind of a time to, uh, a devotional time to reflect upon God's love for you and Christ's act on your behalf at Calvary. And it was all about us. It was something we do uh, to remember Jesus. And that, that was about it. So it, it is, it, it's a very different, it, very different to come into a Lutheran understanding. Um, I think, honestly, uh, Pastor Finner, part of the problem is for the first 1,500 years of the church, the focus was on the supper, the miracle of the mass in the Catholic church. That was where all the, the, the juice was. And then since the Reformation, the focus was on word and sacrament, or in a lot of Protestant churches, the sermon. And that's where all the juice was. And lately, uh, ever since the rise of contemporary worship, the emphasis is on the singing. So we've gone from the supper to the sermon to the singing. And for a lot of our non-denominational friends, they, they have to create a kind of an emotional state of ecstasy, near ecstasy because that's where they believe they contact God. That's where they meet God. They reach up to heaven and touch him through their worship, their singing. Uh, before that, a lot of uh, evangelicals would say, well, you know, the sermon is where, where God meets us. But, you know, when you don't really believe in word and sacrament, the means of grace, uh, it gets a little tedious if it doesn't really mean anything. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason people got attracted to the high amp uh, worship of non-denominational churches, because that was a chance to get some more excitement into their experience of, of church. Whereas for us Lutherans, we believe that Jesus comes to deliver forgiveness to us uh, in the word, the, the, the confession absolution. He delivers forgiveness to us in the, in the scripture reading and in the sermon. He delivers forgiveness to us in the waters of baptism. And as we take uh, the, the uh, Holy Supper into our mouths and, and eat it and swallow it, uh, you know, we get the means of grace, I get, as I've said before, through our, our eye hole, our ear hole, and our pie hole. And today we're focusing on the pie hole, the fact that, that we're getting, we are, we are partaking of the body and blood of Jesus Christ in a very real way. And, you know, who needs to pretend that you can get excited about something else when you've got that being delivered to you on a regular basis. Well, let's dig into the Article 10, because there is much that I want to discuss later. And just a reminder for our listeners is that there are many people who are kind of like, well, there's got to be more than what you're saying. Like, if you're always telling us that there's nothing there, but yet you're acting like there's something there. And Jesus's words act like there's something there. There's got to be more there. So I do pray that, first of all, we stay cling to the scriptures and what they have to say. But I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, I think there's more to this. And we just pray that they're able to, that the Lord would lead them to faithful teachers that will point them to the hope and comfort and assurance of the full forgiveness, life and salvation given to us in the body and blood of Christ. So pray for that and continue to confess it as we do today. I invite our listeners on page 35 of the reader's edition of the book of Concord, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, which is the second edition from CPH, to turn with me on page 35 as we look at article 10 of the Augsburg Confession, 
on the Lord's Supper. We'll begin by reading the note and speak a little bit about the history as we look at our context today. We confess, by the time the Augsburg Confession was written, deep divisions had arisen among the various reformers concerning the Lord's Supper. The Lutherans were very careful to distance themselves from those who reject that the body and blood of Christ are in fact truly present in his supper and distributed to all those who eat and drink. Transubstantiation, consubstantiation, or any other human speculation asks the wrong question. How was Christ present? Lutheranism has no theory or philosophical explanation of how Christ is present. Rather, Lutherans insist on answering the what of the Lord's Supper. We believe, teach, and confess that of the bread, Christ said, this is my body, and the wine, this is my blood. These are given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, from Matthew 26. We reject any teaching that is contrary to our Lord's word. So, Pastor, as we look at this, it, it, we can get really lost in the weeds by saying, well, this is what they believe, this is what, what they believe, and, and we don't even talk about what Scripture says. And what makes Lutheranism, as we look at the Lord's Supper, unique? Well, it's, it's unique because we, we don't try to philosophize about it. We don't try to abstract ourselves from it. We try to take the words at face value. And, and that, there's an important reason for that. It, it's the natural and usual way that we follow what someone says. If someone says, uh, I'm going to work now, we don't assume that that's an, a metaphor or an allegory or an analogy or a parable. That if they say, I'm going to work, they mean they're going to work. That's the natural way to take language. And secondly, uh, Jesus called it a testament. And the word there could be translated as either testament or covenant, but there's a good reason we talk about testaments, and that is uh, a last will and testament only becomes applicable if the testator dies. So when we say that this is Jesus's last mm -hmm. will and testament in the upper room, he's not going to engage in, in, in figurative language and allegory. He's going to get down to brass tacks and talk to his people about what they need to know about his last will and testament. And so when he says, this is my body and this is the testament in my blood, uh, we believe this isn't just flowery language. It's, it's the simple, uh, clear way that you would say what he meant. And then thirdly, all three of the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record that institution in agreement with the Apostle Paul writing two decades later when he talks about it. And none of them talk about it as figurative. You would think that if it was intended to be figurative, after a couple of decades, it would get, get you know, uh, have flowery language applied to it and figurative interpretations given to it. But when, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he writes about it as a participation in Christ's blood and a participation in his body. And then finally, uh, the idea of communion or participation uh, suggests that the bread and the, the wine truly are uh, sacramental. So for those are like four reasons, I think, why it's, it's, it's a much better way of looking at Scripture to take Jesus at face value here than to try to explain it away. Do you have any uh, feel for the, uh, the controversies? of that time and the implications that had, because we have 
the Roman Catholics and, and Lutherans that were had their own battles, which I think is kind of unique here because it's very clear from the apology that the Roman Catholic Church could look at Article 10 and say, okay, yeah, we got it. Well, and, we part, of, and part of the reason for that, I think, is that, that Article 10 was written by Melanchthon to try to build bridges and to try to show that that really what Lutherans were believing, teaching, and confessing wasn't anything different than what the church had always believed. So I won't say that he uh, misled the Catholics with Article 10, but he didn't say everything that he could have said that came out of the previous year, 1529, and Luther's encounter with uh, Zwingli. Uh, at, you know, Luther had three big fights in his life. The first fight was over justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And that was a fight with the Roman Catholics. Their view of infused grace led to works righteousness. And Luther didn't want to have anything to do with works righteousness. So one of the, the greatest theological struggle of his life was to defend justification. The second big struggle he had was with what he called the enthusiasts, people who uh, said that you don't tie the spirit to, to the word and the sacrament, but instead the spirit acts apart from that. And so, yeah, you can get the voice of God in the Bible. And yes, you can uh, hear echoes of, of Christ operating uh, in, in baptism and the Lord's Supper, but God can speak in the theater of the human heart. And that's really his principal uh, venue anyway. And Luther fought against the idea of looking inward and becoming subjective. And he wanted to keep going back to what did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? And so that was his second great battle. And then his third great battle was the controversy with Zwingli and Bucer and others from Switzerland and South Germany concerning the Lord's Supper. And here it was a battle with those who wanted to make it into something merely symbolic uh, and to believe that, that because of the ascension, uh, Jesus was ascended to the right hand of the throne of God and he was... He was located there and a, and a body, even a resurrection body can only be in, they reasoned one place at one time. And that was, they injected a lot of philosophy and logic and reason to their understanding here. And Luther was appalled by it. He, he thought that instead of going with what the scripture said, they were going with what seemed to make sense to them philosophically or logically. And he said, whenever you interject, interject human reason, to what Jesus says, you end up denying what Jesus said. And so that was the third great battle of his life. I, I, I love, uh, there's a painting that came out of the a period around 1574, not too long before the formula of Concord uh, was written, that pictures a three-story uh, picture where you have uh, Zwingli climbing a ladder with the rungs falling out, Luther standing with a sword pointed at Zwingli, and you have uh, Calvinists on one side uh, with a communion service presided over by the devil, and you have the Lutherans on the other side surrounding an altar doing a pretty traditional Lutheran uh, divine service. And then at the top in the clouds, you have the ascended Christ on the throne next to the throne of God. And if you look closely, you can see that there's a chain He's handcuffed to the Father. And that kind of represented the, the Lutheran take on what the 
uh, what the the Zwingli people and the Calvinists and the Reformed people were saying. They wanted to leave Jesus physically remote from all the earth, and they argued instead that that because of of the unique union of the of the human and the divine in Jesus Christ, he could will to be in more than one place at a time, and he could be sacramentally present in, with, and under the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper. And that he, that when we take in that bread, it's, it's bread, it's not transubstantiation. If you put it under a microscope, it would be bread and wine. And in the case of my church, we use port, but whatever kind of wine you use, if you did a chemical test, it would be wine, it wouldn't be blood. But in, with, and under that bread and wine, the very, the very presence of Jesus Christ is, and so this is his body, and we do receive his body and blood in sacramental union when we receive the supper. Well, and that's what's amazing to me when you really think about it is, okay, Jesus said it, therefore it is. <laughs> and, and that's hard to, hard to believe, you know, which is why it's the Holy Spirit gives us faith, as we've talked about in the small catechism, um, by his word. And one of the, I remember doing a Bible study on this, and one of the lifelong good Lutheran, we just went through the basics of it, what we're talking about today, especially the small catechism. And he's like, well, how can Jesus be there and then there? And one of our beloved members who uh, just, he just knew the scripture and was thoroughly Lutheran said, it's called faith. <laughs> <laughs> and he was kind about it, but it's called faith. And that's really what it comes down to is, okay, this is where God's word said. It doesn't make sense, which is often why we'll talk about the mis mystical or the, the mystery of the real presence mm -hmm. of Christ. Other thoughts we have, Pastor, before we actually read what Melanchthon wrote on the well, website? Well, only one other observation, and that is, uh, for those who say, where do you find it in Scripture that, that Jesus can do that? Uh, there is a, a verse that we use every Sunday almost about before confession about if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just two verses before that, there's a marvelous verse that says in, in the end of 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And the whole package is right there. First of all, you've got the fact that that the attributes of the single nature are spoken of as belonging to the whole Christ. It's, it's the blood, that's a human attribute, but it's the blood of the Son of God, who's divine. And the whole person, Jesus and, and the blood, are present in that, in that one person. And then second, you've got the element of divine majesty, because Christ's human blood has the power to do something that only something divine can do, and that is to cleanse us from all sin. So you've got the human Jesus sacrificing his, his body and blood, and it carries divine sanction. So you've got the majesty of God uh, cloaking the human Jesus in that one person. And then thirdly, neither nature is acting alone. It says the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So you've got the whole person of uh, uh, you've got God and the man Jesus together in one person, and the fact that God is able to be everywhere at once gives to the human Jesus in his resurrected being certainly 
still the ability to uh, be sacramentally present wherever his people are taking communion and receiving it, uh, and the words of institution are spoken, they can believe Jesus is really truly there, and not just in some kind of ghost-like spiritual way, not not the Holy Spirit mediating the, the presence of Jesus to me in a spiritual way in my heart, so that I have to kind of squirrel up my emotions to, to think about him. But no, the real risen Jesus uh, wills to be present, really present in his body and blood that is offered up to those of us who eat and drink it. So let's read it. It is quite short. Uh, that's why I encourage you, our listeners, to for more thorough study, go to the small catechism, which we will reference today, but also go to the apology, which is what we'll we'll quickly get to at the end of uh, the summer and, the, and into and the then the fall. formula of Concord yep. really nails it. it. Yeah, and the formula of Concord as well to keep looking at all of that because each of them were addressing a different historical context, which I, I just find it interesting because what if, and this is you know pure skepticism is we don't know, but is what if Melanchthon would have said, Luther, you do this section on the Lord's Supper, I'll do the rest. I think we would add a whole different Augsburg confession, as we'll see in other parts of, well, of the confession. If you, look, anyways, at this, if you look at what Luther wrote in the Schmalkold articles, he is a lot more explicit there in, in 1537 than, than Melanchthon was in 1530. True enough. Very good. And there's another one to study, the Schmalkold articles as well. So We'll stick to the Augsburg Confession for now on page 35. Article 10, the Lord's Supper, we confess. Our churches teach that the body and blood of Christ are truly present and distributed to those who eat the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. They reject those who teach otherwise. Like I said, Pastor, very simple. What 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 is profound about the words that are proclaimed? There are three elements. Uh you have the almighty words of institution coupled with the distribution of the bread and the wine, and then finally the actual eating and drinking. And when you put those three together, you've got a sacrament. It's, it's the words of institution plus the element plus the actual eating and drinking. And, and Melanchthon gives all three of them for us in that, in that one section. And as we look at this, uh, there's a number of scripture passages that we will continually go to for this. I found it interesting that that they highlighted 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And what are the parts of scripture would you, and we'll talk about each of them more thoroughly at, at the other side of our break in a few minutes. But Pastor, where, where do we get this idea that Jesus says that this is truly his body and blood and, and to back up our, our profession or confession of faith? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the upper room. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us the what we call the words of it. Actually, in our Lutheran liturgy, we take Matthew, Mark, and Luke and uh, Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians uh, and put them together uh, into uh, a simple, simple version. But in the upper room, uh, the synoptic gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke guys, they lay out pretty clearly that Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. This is this is the testament, he calls it, uh, my last will and testament. And so I I keep going back to the what we call the words of institution, which really are the gospels. Those are the source documents for us, as as Christians as well as Lutherans. We go back to 
what is what does the book say and the book says this is my body and we also look at first corinthians chapter 10 and i want to read part of that as well is clearly paul when he addresses the church in corinth they've got a communion issue yeah they do it's very clear when you look at chapter 10 and chapter 11 and so i want to just read the part of first corinthians chapter 10 um, as we prepare for our break, T chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 14, and I'll probably go through 17. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it a not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread who we are many, are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, I like what you said before, Pastor, and with about a minute left in our time, Paul doesn't say, is not the, the blood of Christ, which is, by the way, symbolic, um, a participation in the blood of Christ? He's very explicit in his confession here, and he can give us just a little wetter palates a little bit uh, as we go to our break about what is Paul addressing and how is he speaking in these words on the Lord's Supper? Well, part of the problem is there is both a horizontal and a vertical dimension to the Supper, and uh, vertically, uh, we have God delivering to us forgiveness uh, in his body and blood, but horizontally, it is a it is a experience of fellowship with other members of the church, which Paul calls the body of Christ. So he plays on that image of the church as the body of Christ. Then he gets specific to talk about, you know, we take, you know, we, we partake of the elements. It's not meant to be a, uh, a, a gross-out feed by rich people taking advantage of poor people. It's meant to be a, 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 a fellowship, a communion, a koinonia, a common sharing by all members of the, of the body of Christ present, whether they are rich or poor, uh, old or young, they all partake together. And then he goes to the heart of it. What is it we partake of? This is not some flight of fancy. This isn't some spiritualizing or, or trying to mystically connect with the God of the universe, this is a very concrete participation in Christ's body and Christ's blood. How dare you uh, treat one another badly when the whole point of gathering is to share in common the very body and blood of your Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break. We are we are studying and confessing the truth of the Lord's Supper and the Augsburg Confession. And we'll be right back. Military veteran, engineer, entrepreneur. These are just some of the former careers held by current LCMS pastors. Careers that they left behind to serve congregations in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. No matter the background, our Lord calls men who have a passion for the word and a love for serving Christ to be pastors. A sacred, joyful, and essential vocation. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about becoming a pastor, visit weareyourseminaries.org and put your experience and skills to new use in pastoral ministry. Visit weareyourseminaries.org seminaries.org. Welcome back. 
We are studying and confessing the truth of what Scripture has to say in the Lord's Supper, Article 10 of the Augsburg Confession with Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now, Pastor, we, we touched on this, is we when we receive the body and blood of Christ, we are able to go forward without, without fear to saying that is the body of Christ, that is the, the blood of Jesus that I receive um, with fellow believers that I stand with before the altar. Now, Pastor, you, you mentioned kind of like, huh, this is different when you went to a Lutheran church. When we believe that it is actually the body and blood of Christ and that we actually receive the full forgiveness, life, and salvation that Jesus offers us, how does that look different than maybe what you used to have when you had communion at a church? Well, not to tell tales out of school, but I resented the communion service as a Baptist pastor because it cut into the length of my sermon because I had to have enough time left to do communion. And since we were taught that it doesn't really do anything, it just seemed like such a, a, a time waster to tack that onto the service. It doesn't really, you know, sure, it's probably a good idea for people to take a minute and, and reflect on Jesus and what he did for them, but that's all it was. And you had to, uh, if you did it right, the whole point was to try to get in a religious frame of mind. We'd play uh, evocative music to get us uh, in a meditative mode so that we would think seriously and, and take a minute to thank God for whom, from whom all blessings flow, particularly the gift of Jesus mm. Christ on the cross. But it was all our effort to summon up those religious sentiments and to try to generate a religious feeling and and to try to manufacture something that would suffice for the time we were taking to make it into something of, of significance. The difference, the first time I received communion at a Lutheran church, I wept because I realized something real was happening, something deeply true was going on. And I wasn't just, you know, kneeling at the altar to receive uh, a ritual. I was taking part in receiving what Christ died for. He died for my forgiveness. He was handed over for my trespasses and he was resurrected for my justification. And he was delivering the goods. He was handing over the goods, as they say, by giving that forgiveness to me in the most tangible possible way. I remember thinking to myself, because as a Baptist, I was a bit of a teetotaler, like a lot of Baptists are. And so the first time I received communion, it it took me aback. It reminded me of that line in, in the Big Bang comedy show where uh, Sheldon Cooper once commented on wine. And he said, wine is just grape juice that burns going down. And there's a point to that. It it does burn a little bit going down. And that's that's the point. As we take of the bread... We, we, we chew it, we eat it, we feel it. As we take of the, of the wine, we certainly feel the, the sting of it as we swallow it. And it's, and it's a reminder for weak people like us who are weak in faith that the communion kind of slaps us upside the head and reminds us, knocks us out of our slumber and says, this is real. This is real. God is really connecting with you through this, this means of grace. You are, you are having forgiveness delivered to you right now. And that is a, 
a, a remarkably different experience than than just going through the ritual of passing a, a tray down the, the row and and taking the cup when the pastor says to. And it's it's interesting too because as you as you said, you don't we don't eliminate emotions because like you said, is you wept when you received the body and blood of Christ. And so how how do we look at that? in a, a different way be, because it's real those emotions are founded in the actual words and promises of christ instead of us trying to make up our own emotions well how that would, would that would be that exactly to, how i would describe it because i think that so much mm -hmm. of and, and you know i've got to be careful here i have two of my children are pastors in very large non-denominational churches so it isn't just that i had experience as a former evangelical pastor of a Baptist church. It's, I have a day-to-day -day experience with my own children uh, who are actively engaged in being pastors of large churches uh, that don't believe what we believe, teach and confess. And so I, I get a pretty regular, regular interface with uh, the other point of view. And so what other parts of the worship service would be different? And I, I, wanna, I wanna highlight it this way. I know for me, some of the same temptations that you mentioned are a temptation of mine where I have a really good sermon on Sunday. And so why do we take so long with the Lord's Supper and the liturgy and, and to sing a nunc dominus or an agnus dei uh, while we're, I mean, why don't we just take it and move on? I got a good sermon. We got the Vikings game coming up. Oh, excuse me. That's a Minnesota <laughs> reference. Um, we have all these things going on. We have, we have stuff to get to. But yet we it shows what we believe exactly and by what we every do. So everything other, everything other, in our you know, liturgy, particularly as we move into the divine service, uh, the uh, we're singing about the Lamb of God. We're singing about the holiness of God. We are we are saying the words that Jesus spoke. The whole liturgy uh, of of the of the sacrament of the altar is drawn out of Scripture. We're we're echoing the words of the Bible and drumming them into our heads over and over again to be reminded of the truth because uh, we forget very easily. Uh, I like the way Luther put it when he said, "If uh, if you don't think you need communion anymore, if you think uh, it's boring or or not that interesting, and perhaps you don't need it, you're strong in your faith. Uh, reach into your shirt and see what you feel, and if you feel flesh, then you need it." And I think that's, and that's the point. We, we, we need it. And uh, we take time for what we need. If you were dying of thirst, you, you wouldn't complain that it took too long to drink. If you were starving, you wouldn't complain that, that eating all that food uh, consumed too many minutes. Uh, and in the same way, when we come to worship, we come as poor, miserable sinners in need of another uh, reminder of the forgiveness of God. And that's exactly what we get in every element of the liturgy, but especially in the, in the sacrament of the altar. And so as we look at this, what would be your words to somebody who's asking a lot of questions um, concerning this? Because the questions could be left and right, like, well, how is that possible? Or what about this? What about that? What are, what, actually, we may ask it this way. What are some conversations that you have with relatives and maybe some Baptist friends of yours that they will say, 
yeah, but what about this? What about that? What are some common questions what, that come what, your way? Yeah, the, 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 it, it's funny how 500 years hasn't changed things. The same issues <laughs> that Zwingli threw at Luther at the first week of October 1529 in Marburg are the same kind of issues. They, it's human reason. It's, it's not logical to believe Jesus can be in more than one place at one time. And Jesus called himself a door. Jesus called himself a lot of things. So if he says, this is my body, why should you take that literally any more than when Jesus says, I'm the light, I'm the truth, I'm the way, I'm, I'm the door uh, of the sheepfold. You know, those kinds of arguments get thrown at you. And uh, again, as Luther did so <laughs> brilliantly, but stubbornly at at Marburg, he kept going back to, this is my body. This is my body. That's what Jesus said. And historians have sometimes faulted Luther, well, not our historians, but historians outside our tradition have sometimes faulted Luther for being stubborn at Marburg. And why did he have to hang on to that so tightly? Well, there's a very good reason. You're, where are you going to look for assurance? You're either going to look inward at your wicked heart to try to gin up enough evidence that you're a child of God and start keeping lists of all the good things you've done, or you're going to look ex out outward to the objective reality of what Jesus said and did for you. And the problem with much of American Christianity is because they've denied that objective basis in what Jesus said and did, they have, they've got no choice but to look inward. And that's, I think, partly why worship in, in most non-denominational settings is focused on trying to gin up an ecstatic experience uh, through the singing because they they crave that that assurance of God's love and the best way they can get it is by feeling emotional uh, in their singing of songs and you know that idea of looking inward that, that it, it kind of gets into two of the issues that I mentioned earlier the enthusiast and the problem of Zwingli because Zwingli's problem was logical and rational. He didn't think it made sense. And the enthusiast problem is they want to keep looking inside to be proved uh, uh, that to have proof that they are true children of God. And our confession is, no, you don't look inward. You look at what Jesus did objectively on the cross in paying the price of our sin. And that is delivered subjectively to us in our hearts through faith, but it's delivered very realistically for us in the bread and the wine. As the bread and the wine is taken in faith, we are we are receiving the benefits of Christ's work for us. I encourage our listeners that if you have a Lutheran service book, which I keep going back to <laughs> when I when I'm when I'm uh, joining with our fellow pastors on Concord Matters, is that there are parts that I think sometimes we can we have to make sure that people realize that it might look the same in some ways of what other denominations are doing who believe in different things, but we have to pay attention to the words. And for example, if you if you were to go to Lutheran service book, which I do ask you to at least uh, you know maybe purchase one or borrow one or whatever it might be, but if you open to the very beginning page, right right at the beginning of it begins with prayers for worship, right? At the beginning, basically the first very page in Lutheran service book, it has prayers before communion and prayers after. 
which you could say, oh, well, that's just like my Baptist friend because they pray before and they pray after. So it's the same thing. But the, the confession, even in the prayer and what we're doing is different. So, for example, before communion, it says these words. Dear Savior, at your grace's invitation, I come to your table to eat and drink your holy body and blood. Let me find favor in your eyes to receive this holy sacrament in faith for the salvation of my soul and for the glory of your holy name. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Pastor, how would that prayer be different than people of different confessions before they come before the body and blood of Christ? Well, there would be no sense of of repentance, first of all. The, the, the idea is not, uh, repentance is not emphasized in other traditions. Uh, the idea of of the holiness of the sacrament would not be emphasized. It is. It's not. It's. It's not God's. It's ours. It's not something He does. It's something we do. And uh, the faith rule would be interpreted as as my recollecting. You know, when Jesus said, "Do this in remembrance of Me," that is interpreted in other traditions as an a, an act of of cognitive reflection. You know, I'm I'm. Like I have to remember what my wife asked me to pick up at the grocery store. It's an act of, of memory. But when the Bible speaks of, of remember, it, it means a lot more than just recall a to-do list. It recalls uh, a re-experiencing, if you will, of the mighty acts of God for us. And when we in faith uh, remember Jesus, we are we are opening ourselves up to the reality of what he has said and done in a very existential way. It's it's more than just a to do list that I I recollect what, what my wife wanted me to pick up today. And then also it says uh, that uh, the, the idea of of doing it to the glory of his holy name, it really the focus is really on my trying to quote get something out of it. I'm going to, you know, I do it because he told me to. It's a, it's an, in, in a lot of American Christian traditions, it's called not a sacrament because there's no grace exchanged. It's an ordinance. And that word ordinance comes from the word that is cognate to the word order. Jesus gave the order. He said, be baptized. And he said, do this. So we do it not because it makes any sense particularly. We just do it because he said to. And he said, remember him when you do it. So in a lot of church traditions, when we come to communion, it's simply an act of recollecting that Jesus died for me um, and taking the bread and the wine as a, as a symbol because he told us to. Hmm. And so I think it's, it's it, it, any meaning that attaches to it is going to be meaning that I put into it because I want to be a more pious or more devoted follower of Christ. And so I, I might, I might pray really hard, or I might ask the Lord to reveal to me anyone I'm at odds with, or I might, I might uh, say, uh, I might uh, try to aspire to a more, uh, to a deeper uh, sense of devotional connection to God. But it would all be my squirreling up my emotions and my spirit. We also get the prayer after, Almighty and Everlasting God, I thank and praise you for feeding me the life-giving body and blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Send your Holy Spirit that having with my mouth received the Holy Sacrament, I may by faith obtain and internally enjoy your divine grace, the forgiveness of sins, unity with Christ, and life eternal through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. 
this it's a it's a very i mean it that prayer not only confesses truth but boy it is it, it is pointing us to the truth of what just happened and therefore lord lead yeah. me Income. well exactly because uh, first of all it 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 doesn't say almighty and everlasting god i thank you and praise you that Jesus died for me, and I had an opportunity to remember him today as I took the Welch's grape juice and ate the cracker, uh, uh, reminding me of your beloved son, Jesus Christ. It says, I thank and praise you for feeding me the life-giving body mm. and blood of your beloved son. And so, again, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I made a point earlier about the shift from the supper to the sermon to the to the singing. I think there's been a... a, a tectonic shift in American religion to, to what I do in singing as a way of connecting with God. And for Lutherans who follow the liturgy, we move in exactly the opposite direction. It's not about me, you know, in a sense, you could argue that the Roman Catholic and the modern American evangelical have something very much in common. They both see what they do as the important part of the church service. We offer you, we do this for you. We worship and praise you. We, we raise our hands up to you. Uh, whereas for us in the divine service, it's the exact opposite direction. The arrow points downward, not upward. For us, we are the recipients. We are the passive recipients of the gifts of God uh, distributed to us because of the death of Jesus Christ. So, I think for our Roman friends and our non-denominational friends, they view worship primarily in terms of what they do. And we view worship primarily in terms of what has been done for us by Jesus Christ. And we come to have him deliver, hand over the goods. And the other parts that I, I want to highlight, because I think it is so cool, because I will admit this, I'm a pastor's kid, as many of you know, and going through the service, there were times I'm upstairs, my mom's an organist, I'm upstairs and it's just like, oh my gosh, this is taking forever, you know, and my, my life is over. Of course, it was like five minutes over an hour and I was going to go home and stare at the TV or something. I don't know, nothing important by any stretch. I know, I know my own weaknesses. And my you might own miss battle. the kickoff. And when <laughs> I might miss the kickoff, right, exactly. And so this is why my encouragement, I want to really go through this today. That if you go into, once again, Lutheran service book, is that when you go through the service of the sacrament, I mean, it's very much so set aside, never to take, like, say, okay, make sure your sermon is short so we have the sacrament. No, we're putting these on the same plane, word and sacrament, is that you go through it and you have the preface and then you have the sanctus. Like, for example, I'm looking at page 208 of Divine Service Setting 4, and all of a sudden, you sing uh, with the angels and archangels, holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, which brings us to Isaiah with the presence of God. Uh, Matthew 21, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Pastor, what is this telling us that we're preparing for? I mean, just singing that alone should get us excited. It, well, it, it does a number of things. Uh, I want to I tell a brief story. Uh, a few years ago, one of uh, we had a fellow who retired uh, from a large Lutheran church in Florida where he was on staff uh, in, in the area of, of worship and organ, and he was involved in their school and all this. And he came to Fort Wayne to retire. And when he did, it wasn't long before his wife uh, became ill with cancer 
and she died. And I, he took that death extremely hard. It, it just tore him apart to lose his wife. And I can remember when he came to communion uh, on All Saints Day and felt that, that part of what he was doing was participating in the worship in heaven of all the saints. And that in that communion service, you had a meeting, if you will, of the church triumphant and the church militant. The church in heaven and the church here on earth were connected. And he felt like he was participating in the worship of the living God alongside his now deceased wife. And that meant so much to him. And so much of our service of the sacrament points us toward the, the ministry of the angels in heaven, praising God, the, the sanctus, holy, 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 is, the, is Lord God of Sabaoth adored, heaven and earth with full acclaim about the glory of your name. Uh, sing Hosanna in the highest, sing Hosanna to the Lord, truly blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there, and you know, that's an element of, of our communion service too, that we, we don't restrict it to simply the people. A lot of our churches may be smaller, and it isn't just about the, the chosen frozen few who happen to be there that Sunday to take the Lord's Supper. But at the time they are doing that, they are in fellowship with every believer in the world and with those who have gone before us into heaven. And that is a, you know, that that is before the company of angels and all of the glorified saints. It's just amazing. And it continues as we pray, uh, Lord's Prayer, of course, the words of institution, which are often uh, handled very intricately and, and, and very much so lifting up the elements the to show this is what's there this is what's happening the uh the the peace of the lord and then get can, to I, the, can i interrupt I for a second i please do please it do. took me a while to understand this coming from where i came from in the baptist circles i i at first mistook the peace of the lord to be uh a greeting from the pastor that you kind of say where the pastor is saying well god bless you and you say yeah you you too but but that's not the point. It's, it is precisely because you have just given the words of institution and you have, have, have done the act of consecration that you, you face the congregation and, and in a sense, and some pastors do it this way, holding the bread in one hand and the cup in the other, uh, pronounce the peace of the Lord, which is contained in these elements, be with you always. And then the, um, the amen is the congregation's assent to that to that declaration? The peace of the Lord be with you always. The peace that we have delivered to us tangibly in the bread and the wine. Great reminder, because right after that is when we sing the Agnus Dei, and when we sing this, I mean, it's going back to John the Baptist who points at Jesus and basically says, "There he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." It's almost like as you're coming forward, you're saying, yep, "There he yep, is, yep. there he is." Your thoughts on that? <laughs> it, it, you're right. It, it evokes John one twenty nine and that and and that that scruffy looking prophet pointing his finger at Jesus and saying, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." And when you consider that the greatest issue in in all of existence is your relationship to a holy God to know that you have a mediator 
who has taken away all of the impediments, all of the resistance, all of the, the junk and the stuff that would separate you from God, uh, that as you, you know, that is an emotionally meaningful experience for me every time I hear it, uh, that we are about to actually participate in a physical way in receiving the body and blood of the one who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, who took away my sin. And then as a distribution happens and is concluded, clearly the words that we often are dismissed with is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen and preserve you in body and soul to life everlasting, depart in peace is often used. It's not always used, yeah. but often used. And it really, once again, it doesn't say this symbol. No. It says the body and blood. And it shows us what, what it will do for us from now until eternal life when we have the eternal banquet feast. Your thoughts on the blessing that we often will receive? It, it, is, it is a final reminder of why it's important to do it frequently. Luther, in Luther's day, sometimes people got in the practice of only observing uh, communion, and then it was in one kind by the Catholic Church, but maybe once a year or, or a couple times a year. And Luther argued that if you understand the Lord's Supper correctly, you'd want to receive it often. And there, because it is intended to strengthen and preserve us uh, in our walk of faith until the time when we go to meet the Lord face to face. And so, uh, you know, the prayer, you know, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in body and soul. We are, we are praying that the very reason we've gathered to receive it would actually be our experience of it and that we could depart in the peace that the Lord gives because of it. And finally, when everything has been received, the elements have been put away, the sacrament has been uh, uh, received, we sing the Nunc Diminis, a song of Simeon often referred to. And this is one where I absolutely love it as a, I grew up in the old blue hymn of the Lutheran <laughs> worship, and I, I didn't grow up with um, the, 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 with the divine service setting or page 5 and 15 from right. the old hymnal. And so I remember when this came back, you had a whole bunch of older folks who said, it's great that the song of Simeon yeah. is back and it's wonderful. And I was like, okay, what, what's, what, what's the significance of that? And here you have Simeon who sees the Lord and says, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, for I've seen the glory of your of, the, of your Savior. Remain, I've I've seen Christ for us as Christians. I receive Christ. I'm good. I am fulfilled. The Lord will let me go in peace. And so, what does that tell us, Pastor? With about two minutes left oh, in our time, goodness, uh, it, it 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 tells us just that that uh, having communed with God's people knowing that what I am doing is receiving from the risen living Lord of the church, who is even now preparing a place for me, I can say, you know, uh, you know, take me now, Lord, I'm ready. But there's a sense of being sent out into the world we live in, knowing that we have met with the living God who has given us his body and his blood in a tangible, physical, sacramental union way so that we are ready uh, to be a light to lead the Gentiles unto the holy hill and to proclaim the glory of his people, his chosen Israel. Pastor, with about a minute left, 
What would be your encouragement to our listeners as we hear the simple and plain words on the sacrament of the altar, what it means for them, what it can mean for not only them now when you receive it for the future and for others in Christ? I guess it would be a, a reminder, particularly to the lifers, we call them, people who grew up in the Lutheran church and maybe spent too many times with their minds wandering, wondering about the kickoff of the game or the roast in the oven or whatever. And it it's easy for us in our flesh to become nonplussed or or to take for granted, uh, I would encourage them to actually take the time to read the words, reflect upon the words, and think about what they truly mean. And then the post-communion collect, uh, it kind of ties it all together. Mm -hmm. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, uh, you know, we, we cut, you have given us a foretaste of the feast to come and the Holy Supper of your son's body and blood. Keep us firm in the true faith throughout our days of pilgrimage, that on the day of his coming, we may together with all your saints celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And we go in peace. Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, given us the truth of the Lord's Supper according to Scripture from the Augsburg Article 10 of the Augsburg Confession. Pastor McFadden, thank you for being with us in Concord Matters. Thank you Matters. for having me. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.